0: Good morning. So good to be back here at Wakefield, especially since we are starting off a brand new series this morning. Uh, we're entitling it "Suburban Legends." And uh, are, are you familiar with urban legends? Have you have you heard the one about the the man who goes to a hotel in New Orleans and he wakes up uh, the next day and uh, he somebody slips something in his his drink the night before? And there's a sign that says, go to the hospital right now. You're missing, two, you're missing your kidneys. Or, uh, or maybe you've heard this one. Um, did any of you guys a few years ago get an email from Bill Gates because he needed your help testing a new email program? And if you sent it off to like 10 other people who sent it off to 10 other people that he was going to give you $1,000... You guys remember? I got one of these. In fact, I can remember somebody saying that, I think that's really true, a friend of a friend uh, said that they, they got the check from Bill Gates. But it was always like a friend of a friend, right? It was never somebody that you knew in your office. Well, th- those are urban legends. But what we would like to do is take a look at some suburban legends, some, some sayings out there that we need to take a little bit closer look at. And specifically, the suburban legends that we're going to look at all have to do with relationships the things that that we have just kind of like we buy into because we hear it said so often that we just you know the, if you say something often enough it's it's true and it's just kind of accepted and so the first one that we want to look at in this series is is this suburban legend there are many paths to a relationship to God there are many paths to a relationship to God Now, this is actually a suburban legend that I kind of like. I mean, you know, a lot of it kind of makes sense. I mean, really, if you start to look at it, aren't all religions pretty much the same? I mean, they're about being a good person, you know, somehow improving your life. Or, uh, like, if you ever have been a part of, like, a 12-step program, um, you'll know that that part of a 12-step program, whether it's AA or any of the others, is to get a spiritual component. Because it's important to have belief. Belief kind of gives you some, some focus in life. Now it doesn't really matter what you believe, just that you have belief. Because really, there's just something in the power of belief that just kind of moves you forward. And besides, I mean, doesn't it kind of make sense that, like, what would happen to those who've never heard about Jesus, right? Like, if only the people who heard about Jesus were, were you know, going to heaven or nirvana or whatever it is, And what about all those people over in in India? What about those Hindus who maybe have never heard? Or or what about us? I mean, what if we're wrong about this? And really the Hindus are right. And and what if we don't, you know? So this is a little bit more equitable, you know? I like this idea, like everybody just kind of all gets to the same spot uh, eventually. It's a very, it's a much more fair system. Um, The other thing too is that this is just kind of chic right now. I mean, it's just, it's politically correct, and um, I mean, it's its all about being tolerant, and I really, there's kind of like an air of humility about it, right? I mean, isn't it kind of nice to say, listen, you know, I kind of grew up in this tradition and faith, and but really, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not saying that mine's any better than anybody else's, I'm really being humble about this, and, you know, I mean, I, I can kind of appreciate some of those things, but I think that we really need to look hard at, at this this idea that all religions are the same. I mean, are all religions the same? Are are all governments the same? I mean, I think they are probably by the same value, right? I mean, don't all governments kind of have, you know, there's a leader who's in charge, whether he's elected or whether he, you know, does it by force. Then there's taxation, right? I mean, there's some form of taxation, and, and the government somehow tries to provide order, you know, but are all governments really the same? I mean, do you know what happens to the Cuban baseball team when they travel to foreign countries, democracies? Like they've got somebody who's, who flies with them that watches those players wherever they go because those players want to defect, and they defect on a regular basis because I guess not all governments are the same. I mean, there's something about our form of government that they like better than the form of government that they're in. Fascist governments where you have no vote and, and there's just a tyrant who can do whatever he wants. That's, that's different than, than a democracy where you have some say and some freedom of speech. And by the same mark, all religions, just they're not the same. I mean, if you start to look at Islam, uh, Islam actually has some of its same roots from, from you know, Christianity and Judaism. You know, they believe that there was an Abraham and they believe that there was a Jesus. He was a prophet, you know, just one of many, the greatest being Muhammad. And at the end of the day, if you want to make it to heaven, you've got to, you've got to just do all the right things. Because Allah, He's He's taken an account, and you know, I don't know exactly how many of you, you have to do, you just gotta do a lot of good things and avoid the bad things, and maybe Allah will let you in. Or for Hindus, I mean they, they believe in in reincarnation. So in other words, like you're trying to get to this point of like a nirvana where you, you empty yourself and become like into the nothingness or the oneness of all that is. You cease to kind of exist as a person. But if you don't do a good job where you're here, you get sent back, and you may come back as a cricket or you may come back as a Hollywood you know, starlet. And it all of that kind of depends on how you're working your way up the ladder here. But you know, these religions, these, these are very different beliefs. Very different values that send you off in very different directions. In fact, there was, there was one man who uh, was a Hindu. He came from India, and he, he later became a, a Christ follower. And there was really two instances that changed you know, his, his view and really caused him to take the step. One, he was in India, and uh, there was a train operator who was, was operating his train, and a cow went off in front of the tracks. And so because this cow could be his great-great-grandmother, and that, that cow's value, you know, had, had its life had great value. He veered the train off the tracks to avoid hitting the cow. And in the process, he killed over 50 people and over 100 were injured. So then the same man, he sees this take place. And then he comes to the United States. And I remember in India, there's, there's starvation. And people are hungry, right? He comes to the United States and he sees that people aren't hungry here in the United States because they have McDonald's. They eat all these nutritious, healthy meals every day, billions served. This is what they do with the cow. I give him some grace. He's only been here, you know, a little bit. He didn't realize it. Probably more people die from McDonald's than they die from trains in India. But he saw a difference in the value of life between these two sets of values. You see, if you start to look at religions, in a way, a lot of them are the same. They fall under two categories. Either, either one, they're fatalistic, and what that means is that they say, you know what, maybe there's a God out there, or there, there's something out there, and um, you, know, you can try to do some changes, you can try to veer your life off in one direction or another, but really it's all kind of a, a hoax, because it is set the way it is, it's like the Big Bang happened, and you're, everything was set off in an order, and any, any thought that you have that you can change things is really just an illusion because you would have made that choice anyways because of your personality or whatever else. You know. So it just is what it is. There's nothing you can do about it. The other religions can be lumped into a form of legalism which says that here's a set of rules and you've got to follow these. And if you do all these just perfectly or just right, then you can get to this better existence in an afterlife. But only Christianity has grace. Only following Christ is about a free gift that you don't do anything to earn. In fact, it's already been done for you. All you have to do is just believe and accept. Not only that, but the thing that, that makes Christianity distinct is Jesus. And not that, that Jesus is, is our, our, you know, the person we follow. There's others that, there's Muhammad and there's, and there's the, the teachings of the Buddha or Confucius. But what is significant is that Jesus came out and he made claims that no other leader of a world religion ever did. Jesus claimed that he was God, that he was the all-powerful. In fact, there's a, there's a sequence that kind of lays this out. And you can find it in your Bibles, John chapter 8. In fact, if you don't have your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, uh, right now is an opportunity. Our ushers are going to come by with, uh, with Bibles. Just raise your hand. You can take this Bible. It's a free gift. And when you get it, go to the New Testament and find this book of John. We're going to find John chapter eight. Now, I'm going to pick it up at verse fifty-one. But if you were reading, you, it's better to kind of read earlier because what this is, this, this sequence here, is it's actually an argument between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, and and it's it's kind of relig- it's kind of argument that if you were walking through, you know the the. Um, place of commerce or the path there, and you heard this argument going on. You would have come over there because you would have figured that at any moment, you know, that the, the, the religious leaders were going to take a swing at Jesus, or maybe Jesus was going to take a swing at them. But it's the kind of thing that would have would have attracted your attention. Now, up to this point, I just want to let you know that Jesus has already come out and and basically told these religious leaders that um, their father is the devil. So you kind of get a, a feel for where this is kind of going. So now Jesus says, I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. That's a pretty bold statement, right? He says, you, you do what I say, you're never going to see death. At this, the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you're demon-possessed. Because Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. Okay, now this Abraham character that, that they're talking about, he's like the father of the Jewish nation. If you are of Jewish heritage, you could, if you could, you could trace your lineage back, and somewhere down there, your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather is Abraham. Every Jew came from Abraham, Father Abraham. And so he is just a pillar in Judaism. So he says, okay, you know what we'll throw out here? You think you're better than Abraham? You're better than the founder of our faith? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. And if I said I did not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father, Abraham, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You are not yet 50 years old, the Jews said to him. And you have seen Abraham? I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. Before Abraham was born, I am. At this point, they picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. Now, What goes on here? I mean, Jesus has already come out there and called them a liar. He said that their father was the devil. You know. Then they went and said, no, you're the one demon-possessed. And so no, no stones are being chucked at this point, right? But then he says, before Abraham is, I am. And now they're chucking stones. Well, see, you have to go back, and you have to go all the way back to Moses to understand what was going on there. Because just like you have Father Abraham... All of the law, the first five books of, of your Bible, they come from Moses. Moses was, was called out to go to Egypt where all of the, the nation of Israel were slaves. And he was to lead them out of Israel. And so Moses is he's hearing God through this vision at a, at a, a burning bush and uh, he's a little nervous about this because here's this nation and Moses is going to come in there and he's going to say, hey guys, uh, follow me, you know, I'm going to lead you out of here. And he's thinking, what, these people are going to be like, who are you? Where'd you come from? And so Moses says to God, when I go to them, I want to tell them what your name is so that they know that, hey, this is the, this, the God that's aligned with their, you know, who they're following. So what's your name? And when, when Moses asked God his name, this is what he said. I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. Which, by the way, isn't that kind of cool? What is God's name? God says, I exist. That's my name. You want to know who I am? I exist. And so, when Jesus said before Abraham was, I am, he was saying, I am God. that's, That's my name. Jesus went out and he claimed to be God. And so, you know, there's so many people who come in. And then what we want to say that, that, you know, Jesus is a good teacher. You know, I'm not quite sure where I stand with, with everything else. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily follow him, but I do say that Jesus is a good teacher. We'll accept him in the canon of all the great religions out there. You know, C.S. Lewis, one of our great theologians of the last hundred years, said, you know what? Jesus does not allow you that option. Nobody can go out there and say that Jesus is a good teacher. Because this is a man who goes out, and not only did he put some teachings that maybe you think are good, but he went out and he said, I am God. You can either say that he's a lunatic, that he literally thinks he is God, he's just a crazy man running around, or he's a liar, he knows exactly what he's doing, and he's come up with some way to kind of seduce people and trick them. Well, there's only one other option. That he is Lord That he really is who he said he was. And Jesus, he was always more concerned about anything else than about who people thought he was. As though that was the source of of salvation and and the thing that could change their lives. And see, you know, if you ever want to wipe out Christianity, all you have to do is wipe out the resurrection. If you can prove that Jesus never rose from the dead, then you've got on your hands a lunatic or a liar. But if he, three days after they crucify him, if he rises and he really shows himself to his disciples who thought he was dead and had scattered. And if those disciples, for whatever reason it is, now, you know, let's just say that they know it's a lie. And now they're running around and they're, they're taking this thing that they know is a lie to their grave. What's their benefit? None of them ended their lives in riches. All of them were, were, were murdered, were martyred, except for John. Something happened to those guys, three days later, that changed the rest of their their, their lives, the course of, of of what they did. And it's why it keeps spinning and spinning, why the church keeps going and growing, and the message continues, because there's a living, active God out there. Jesus claimed to be God. And then Jesus not only claims to be God, but then he comes back with this other statement later in John. He's talking to his disciples, and he says to them. I am the way and the truth and the life. Put that one on for size. You want to know the path? I am the path. Not I'll show you the path. I am the way and the truth. I am in existence truth. And I am the life. You want life? You want not only life after this one, but you want life now? You want to really live your life? Follow me? And then he throws this on. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus now throws us out and He becomes exclusive. Just so you know, I mean, as much as we talk about about fanatical Islam, in their in their beliefs, they say, you know, we figure Jews are probably going to to you know to heaven and we figure Christians are going if they follow in the tenets of their belief. Hinduism, Hindus are are very inclusive. Really one of the distinctives about Christianity is its exclusiveness. Okay, well, if that's the case, I think we we have to ask this question. What about those who have never heard? What about those people who have never heard of Jesus Christ? And I think that when we start asking this question, really what we're asking is, is, can I really follow a God who doesn't love people at least as much as I love people? that doesn't care about these, I mean, that that God just kind of goes out on a whim and says, you know what? I just, I've got this system and whoever hears, hears. If they never get a chance to hear because you didn't get out there or didn't move there fast enough, so be it. That's the way it is. And so we say, well, I don't know about that. You know, there's got to be another way. But I think part of the problem is that we are so short-sighted in what we see God and how he's able to work and what he is capable of, I mean do you really think that God can't reach people in other places? you know Paul, who was one of the great church planners of the of the first century I mean this was, he just went out this is what he did and uh, he was in Athens and he was he was teaching to the philosophers. he would just went out there and you feel. I mean this is the, the place where aristotle and and Plato and Socrates are all from. And, uh, and they've got all this pantheon of gods that they worship. And in fact, they, they were so concerned about not offending one of the gods that they're afraid that if they missed one, you know, they, they didn't want to offend them. So they had a statue out there to an unknown god. So that they, you know, hey, if they missed one, here's a statue to the unknown god. Well, Paul's trying to teach to them, and he sees that statue of the unknown god, and he picks up on it and he says, hey, hey, guys, wait a minute. Let me tell you about the unknown god. Let me tell you about, about this God that you don't know about. And so in the process, he says these words. He says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. I mean, think about that. Right there, it says that, that God went over and, and he knew you were coming and he decided that you would be born here in the United States, if you were born in the United States, and that you would, you would live in this area. He determined this ahead of time. Why would God do all of that? God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. You See, it says that God is always looking for us, and he puts us in just the right place that we might be able to find him. And so trust that God can, can direct somebody who we just, in our own short sight, and say, well, really, I write smack dab in the middle of India. Certainly, they've never heard, as though we know. Or we say, there's no way for God to reach them there. Or there's no means through which he can find. But the truth is, is that God can find a way. God can do what he wants to do. Just to kind of give you an example here, there's a, a, a pastor out in, uh, in Los Angeles. Um, his name is Erwin McManus. He pastors a church called Mosaic. And uh, before we thought that we were, before we found out we were going to end up coming here to Raleigh, we actually thought about just going, moving out to LA, and hanging out at this church and just kind of being a part of what they're doing and learning from them. But um, Erwin had, you know, he's he's kind of made a lot of inroads in the community out there in LA, and he made this connection with this guy named John Gordon, who was kind of a a new age healer, okay. And uh, in the process, John ends up finding Christ, and so he ends up shooting this email to Irwin and I just I want to read it cuz it gives you an idea of the mysterious ways that God can work. All right, the title at the top of the email it says Irwin and Energy. Uh, hi Irwin, it was great having you on our teleconference a few weeks ago. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping me feel and understand the spirit of Jesus. You have brought him to life for me and I am forever grateful to you. I grew up Jewish, followed the spiritual new age path for a while. And thought that that was where I was going. I never liked organized religion and never went to church and never felt at home there. And when I became an author and a speaker, I wanted to speak at all the non-Christian conferences and was blocked every step of the way. My business partner, Daniel Decker, who you know, started sending me scriptures and sharing websites and pastors like you with me. I would drive down the road and look up at the right moment and see the signs that said, Jesus is the answer. Happened all the time. But I didn't like the church. I didn't like how they were so judgmental, hypocritical, etc. So I started to question all of it. I started to pray and started listening to your podcasts. When I meditated, I would see a cross. A Jewish kid from Long Island would now see in a cross. Go figure. I connected with Clint, Ken Blanchard, who had some thoughts for me, positive thinking, and a magazine, and a magazine owned by Guideposts uh, made me their energy coach. You agreed to be on the teleseminar, and all signs pointed to Jesus. About two months ago, after a conversation with a Buddhist healer, it all became clear to me. I became a follower of Jesus. Not the way most people become a follower of Jesus. People think that only Christians can point you in the right direction. But God used everyone in my life to show me the way. God brought me to Daniel. God brought me to you. God brought me to a Buddhist healer. God brought me to Jesus. And now he brings me to others to hear my story. I was recently on CNN. You can catch me there. I'm sending positive energy your way. John. You look at something like this and I, a question I have is, what was the conversation with the Buddhist healer at the end that finally like sealed the deal? But God worked through all of those means to reach out there. Because God more than anything else, wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to know you and to be known by you. That's his desire. There's a slide I want you guys to see here. Pop it up. should be the next one. Okay, have you seen these on bumper stickers floating around? I think it's a really cool bumper sticker there. It's it's very creative, you know, I love it, coexist, and you've got all the, the symbols of the major uh, world religions up there. And, um, you know, I, I see these around, and, and maybe one, maybe you, know, you might have this on the back of your, your car. And I, actually, I like the sentiment of this idea of, like, let's try to get along and not be, you know, abusive and mean. But um, I have to admit to you that every time I see this, it really irritates me. But it probably doesn't irritate me for the reason you think it irritates me. I, I don't look at this and go, oh, look what they've done. They've put my, my Jesus' cross over there with all these other ones as though he's, he's equal with them. You know, I, that, That's not really what, what stands out to me. You know what bothers me about this? Is that I see it as very hypocritical. I mean, to me, this is total hypocrisy. Because what this kind of says is that, hey, I'm willing and tolerant and accepting of all of these belief systems. I'm pulling them all under. But really, it's not about all these belief systems. This right here is about one belief system, secular humanism. This is about a belief system that says, you know what? None of these are true. There's Islam, that's a joke, it's not really true. Yeah, you gain some good principles from it, but you can get some of those from Christianity. And you know, hey, I don't buy in everything that's Wiccan. But fundamentally, I'm a secular humanist, and I I don't buy into any of them. And so when you see sometimes you get people and they get a a rabbi and and a Catholic priest and an evangelical person and somebody from Wiccan, and they're all hanging out, and they're all just of one mind, well, it's because they are one mind. They don't believe in any of these. And it's this mindset of saying that none of them exist. That there really is no God out there. There is no real outside existence. But what we find about the God that we, we find in the scriptures, we find that he is a jealous God. It says in Exodus chapter 34, Do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. <laughs> Did you know that God's name was jealous? And I guess if your name was jealous, it would go to, you know, be that you would be jealous, right? But do you see what it's saying about God and that he is jealous? It's saying that he exists, he has personhood. I mean, bottom line here is really God can't be jealous because jealousy has of this mindset that you are deficient of something, you need something, you need something from somebody else. And we all know that God is immutable. That means that he needs nothing. You know, like if I don't come to him, you know, he wants me to come to him, but he he will go on without me. You know, he can exist on his own without Mark Wolfschlager. He's immutable. But what we find is that he has personhood. And Paul, he echoes the same thing when he describes what this relationship is like. You know, when we talk about having a relationship with God, what's this supposed to look like? Well, Paul says, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. There we have that jealousy word again. He says, I promise you to one husband. He's writing this to this church in Corinth. I promise you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. You See, the picture of the relationship that we have with God is one of marriage, of a husband and a wife. And so if I I have my wife, and if I go and I say, you know what, I'm trying to go and get some of my needs met through my wife, physical, emotional, but then I say, you know, I'd like to add in some other ladies as well. And so I go and I try to find some other ladies who are going to meet both physical and emotional needs. See, I'm going to start to run into a problem there. Because, see, my, my wife is not a PEZ dispenser. She's not some inanimate object. She has personhood. Thereby, she would be jealous of that, right? And and not only would she be jealous, but here's the, here's the kicker, is that, I really can't get those needs met outside of a relationship with her. I mean, it's not about tolerance or being accepting. If I go and try to find another path, even in the moment, if I think it's, it's like, oh, I think this met it for today, I'm going to find that, that over a course of time, my whole world is going to come crumbling down around me because there is one path for me, and it is through my wife. And she is a person you see, when we really get down, when I say, what's the difference? say, so you've you got to get away from the secular humanist viewpoint. That, and you can be a secular humanist and be hanging out here every Sunday and call yourself a Christian because ultimately you just think that these are good principles to try to live your life by. And it's so much more than that. The fundamental difference between our God and the other gods is that our God is real. It's that our God shows up. It's that our God will interact in your life when you go out there and you look for him. In fact, if you start to go through the scriptures, again and again you see this. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, he says, God says, I'm looking for a king who's going to seek me. I'm looking for a people who are going to look for me, that are going to be knocking on the door, that are going to talk to me, that are going to come to me. Jesus, he says, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open to you. The fundamental difference is that our God is a real God who shows up. That's it. And I, I just, what do you do with this message today? Well, here's what you do with this message. If you're on the fence, if you're not too sure about this, you, know, you go, I, I, I haven't checked out the other ones. I haven't checked out the other religions. Well, here's a challenge for you. And, and this, either it works or it doesn't, right? I want to challenge you to go and take a Bible, your Bible. If you don't have one, you, you could get one here. And I want you to go home this week, and I want you, before you even open it up, to say, you know what? God, I, I'm talking to you, and quite frankly, I could be talking to thin air right now. You may not even exist. But I'm going to talk to you anyways because it says in here that you do. And so if you really exist, if you, if you were living and active, As I read through your scriptures, as I open the book of of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John or one of the gospels, as I start to read through it this week, I pray that you would reveal yourself to me, whether through this word or through circumstances, that in some way you would make it known to me that you are out there, that you are calling me. And I don't even know what means you might do that. But Lord, reveal yourself to me this week. Take that challenge. Go to him. And see if he is not a real, living, and active God who will interject himself into your life. Heavenly Father, as I stand up here this morning, as I I speak to you, I am thankful that I know that I am not speaking to air or to a ceiling, but that I am speaking to a living God who has shown himself, Throughout history, time and time again, has given visions, has has put circumstances in people's paths, has allowed this book to come into my possession, and has shown me in my own life how real you are again and again. And I ask right now that those who are in this very room this morning, that you would reveal yourself to them this week as they honestly seek you and to be known by you. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.